right, folks, welcome to the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. It's me, Chris Papa. We have Lisa Flicker here. Hi, Chris. Today, we had an amazing guest, Nikki Beasley. Nikki is the executive director at Richmond, California, Neighborhood Housing. She has, uh, I met her I don't know, a month or two ago in San Francisco. She grew up in San Francisco, and now she's making uh, a lot of positive changes in and around where she grew up. So it's a really cool story. Yeah, it was really great to meet her. I love people who just feel like they kind of grab the world and, and try to extract everything they can out of it. And I feel like she's one of those energized folks who I, I haven't met her in person, but I'm sure her energy is contagious. Yeah, she didn't really know what she wanted to do with her life and kind of found a mentor to help her and kind of worked her way through. And now she's the executive director at this at this uh, at this big at this big platform. So it's pretty cool. Um, so with that, please, as always, please share the podcast with your friends. If you have any, know anyone who's looking to start a career in real estate, uh, this is a great form to learn about different career paths. And if you have any questions, please email myself. Or Lisa, don't email Halila. He won't respond. And we'll get back to you. So with that, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. So, Nikki, we met in person a couple weeks ago. Was that for a, that was like a NAOP event or ULI event? I forget. But do you remember? You know. It's... Oh, I was going to like a ULI NAOP event, but you were going to meet some people for ULI, I think. We're. Anyways, yeah. we're obviously we, we have a lot of we have a lot of we have a lot of friends. Yes, we're very popular. So you're the executive director at the Richmond Neighborhood Housing Services with Richmond Neighborhood Housing Services. Can you in Richmond, California, not Richmond, Virginia? Can you tell the world, the world's listening, possibly the universe, about your job and Richmond Neighborhood Housing Services? Sure. Thank you for clarifying California, not Virginia, because that sometimes happens. But yeah, I'm sure Richmond Neighborhood Housing Services was founded in the city of Richmond by local residents um, back in 1981. They were addressing the redlining issues and housing issues of the time. It's transformed to be an affordable housing organization where we are property manor managers and owners of real estate providing rental housing to low to moderate income families. Um, we are program managers, a HUD counseling agency providing the education needs for first-time home buyers along with helping those mitigating through foreclosure. We run a keys to equity program for homeowners in the city of Oakland targeted for black homeowners wanting to sell, uh, build accessory dwelling units in their backyards. We also have our emerging developers program supporting black BIPOC developers new to the industry and field of development. Mm -hmm. um, we are also developers ourselves focused on infield, small site neighborhood uh, development. And then we do quite a bit of advocacy, you know, keeping the needs of the community we serve top of mind, both on a legislative standpoint and the community reinvestment standpoint of things. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty impressive. Of, that's a lot of responsibility. How, 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 um, all right, so let's kind of break this down a little bit. Where, where do the funds come from that you're, you're using to, to help all these sure. people? Sure. 
So because we have a couple of different buckets of our work, um, you know, for our acquisition and rehab work, you know, we're looking at the traditional financing, whether it is, you know, the housing community development, HCD, um, private CDFI funding, community development finance institutions, uh, mm -hmm. banks for our uh, programs is typically philanthropy, foundation, you know, grants, sponsorships, and things of that nature. And then for our development mm -hmm. arm, um, we are crafting what is known to be a social impact bond where we are working with banks to leverage community reinvestment dollars into a municipal bond that allows us to have the resources available to go out to acquire rehab and bring on the market affordable home ownership units. It's pretty impressive. Thank you. You know, with home ownership being our focus, you know, in in California and explicitly to the Bay Area, home ownership does not tend to be a focal point of affordable housing. Probably in the last year and a half or two, we're starting to hear ownership in those platforms. So we've had to be somewhat innovative and creative finding those funds since there aren't typical, um, you know, buckets of money to pull from. Yeah, so the, the goal is, yeah, what's the goal of the, of the I mean, of these different programs? Or what's, yeah, what's the overall goal is for people to have home, home ownership? Yeah, again, you know, from the real estate arm, the goal is to continue to acquire properties to add to our rental portfolio that's deemed affordable to low to moderate income families. From our programs, yes, for those that do want to, you know, exercise their right to be homeowners, providing them all the resources available so that they can, you know, secure that dream. Uh, for the Emerging Developers Program, it's around education for individuals that don't typically kind of get a pathway into development. And then the overarching, you know, goal of the work is just to make sure that the people that we were um, created to serve get recognized in all of these different areas of work as it relates to housing. So I often see the people who are the happiest and most successful find the intersection of their passion and their best and highest professional use. And I'm looking at kind of your career and how it built up. And I'm wondering, was there something in your early career or childhood that kind of sparked this passion in you? You know what? I appreciate that question, you know, because when I think about my journey of career, I can't say that, you know, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be it just kind of happened. Um, but with my long career being in banking, I always had a community focus and was a liaison between nonprofits and banks. Um, so when I transitioned out of banking, I was really open. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. And through a colleague, you know, brought this opportunity to my attention. So I was very excited to be stretched in a different way to learn and be, you know, just kind of challenged in a different way. And once I got into work and being a newbie to affordable housing, I think my passion came through of just doing what was right for the people. I felt I had an assignment, that I had a fiduciary responsibility to really ingrain the mission and be focused on the people we serve. And I think through that, a lot of the things that we've been able to accomplish, we, we've been successful. 
Well, you're quoted as saying, show up, be present and receive your gift. And it feels like that's that's the life you're living. So I love that. Yeah. You know, early on, I used the Shirley Chisholm um, quote about, you know, if there's not a table for you, if, not, if there's not a chair for you, bring a folding chair. And my <laughs> first, you know, few years, I was showing up everywhere and there were definitely not chairs for me to sit. So I was definitely bringing my folding chair. And to that point, when you show up, you know, things happen. So pulling that out. So you started in banking and you learned about like the financial instruments that are available to folks to, to kind of grow their dreams. Is that kind of how it started? Well, yes and no. I, I always say that I learned more about banking being a non-banker than I ever did as a banker. But yes, because I worked in the retail um, system, which is known as a branch, closely tied to finance, consumer credit, mortgages, things of that nature. When I came into the organization, that was kind of the low-hanging fruit for me. I knew about that. So those were the relationships that I started to secure as far as funding for the organization through um, bank grants. And then also leveraging our home ownership work through our HUD council work. And through that, we you know, created our, um, our tagline, changing the narrative of home ownership in the Bay Area, um, which then created our Lender Ready program. And since 2017, we've gotten over 200 buyers in the home. So I would say, yes, the you know, experience that I had in banking kind of gave me the opportunity to get some things started while I built some other things within and how many people work at the uh, at, at Richmond Neighborhood Housing Services? How big is the organization? Currently, we have a staff of 10, but I do want to add some contact, context. Um, before the social uprising and COVID and the murder of George Floyd, we were a staff of four, and that was 2020. So there has been extensive growth. Our, you know, our team has been as large as 15 but we're settling in around 10. Looks like you had your own Be Wise Consulting Group. Is that your own consulting group? Or tell us a little bit about that, what that was like. Yes, so when I, I left banking, I've had a couple of stops and starts with banking. I left my, first time I left banking, I think was 2006. I wanted to go out and again, educate. And maybe this kind of gets some of my passion wanted to get in front of women that needed to make financial decisions on their own and being a part of banking and the financial environment, I knew it could be somewhat intimidating because the people that were across the table providing advice didn't look like them and that can be an intimidation factor. So I built Wise Consulting so it would be an opportunity to talk to women about being empowered to make the decisions that they needed and find a voice. Um, it is not as active, you know, as it once was, but definitely was a pillar of wanting to you know, provide information, advice, and support on being a licensed, you know, financial professional. That's awesome. But yeah, so I mean, so you, you're, we're, yeah, let's take take us back to, to little Nikki to when you were uh, growing up. Where where'd you grow up? Born and raised in San Francisco, proud to say. Grew up in the Excelsior District. Um, I always say, you know, birth to eighth grade was a magical time for me. Um, I had a school mom, young mom, but, uh, you know, great community around me. Um, but, yeah, uh, San Francisco's home. 
And I imagine when you you mentioned your mom, so I feel like she must be a part of the story to get you to where you are right now. Yeah, my mom, um, you know, definitely gave me my work ethic. You know, being a single mom for a number of years, I think I got that work ethic from her. She was my greater uh, greatest cheerleader. We lost her in 2011, um, but you know, really couldn't have found a, a better advocate for me. You know, anything I could dream of. She I could be so I think that definitely helped me you know in the world that I'm in today to believe that you know if you believe it it's possible how do you connect with the, the local community like how do they do people you know I mean how do you help is it like do you people come to you and or like are you out there I just don't know how that like the relationship works yeah, so I'm proud to say a lot of the clients that we serve are through word of mouth and our delivery of service. I always tell my team and others, you won't see me get animated unless we are not doing our best to serve people. Um, so again, our you know execution of programs, people tend to talk about it and you know through friends and family, which I think is always the best referral. I think for me directly, as I mentioned earlier, showing up for different meetings, uh, different, you know, coalitions, and again, everywhere that I could find myself being of value. And then my team also has their, you know, um, opportunity to be engaged through community outreach and events that we participate on a periodic basis. Gotcha. And do you find a big part of this, like, when you when you started there, like was there was there an organization already in place, or did you have to kind of create it, a lot of it from the ground up? Well, yeah. The, when I came on board, and I mentioned a colleague, you know, the, the current board member at the time had reached out to her saying, "Hey, we have this little nonprofit. It's been dormant. The board has had to make the decision either to move forward or close it down." So when I came in, I had a staff of one and a half. Um, that was really there just collecting rent going on. I would say dormancy was around maybe two, two and a half years. So yes, coming in, I had really a clean slate, I would say, because there wasn't much going on. So I leaned on the things that we were known for at the time, which was the HUD counseling. And then these other programs I've mentioned really have been developed out of need by doing one thing, seeing that there was a need to solve another issue, and then we created the other programs. And tell us a little bit about the day, a day in the life of Nikki. What does it What does it look like when you get to the office, and what are you What are you up to? Um, so my day, my life lives and breathes on the calendar. If it's not on the calendar, it does not exist. Um, so a day in a life is a number of meetings, um, either on coalitions that I sit on, boards that I sit on, partner meetings, whether they're with funders, team meetings with the team, because we still are in this hybrid environment, um, as well as, you know, seeking new opportunities. And now because of, I, I would say the success that we have had also engaging with others that have found us and wanting to figure out ways to collaborate. So my day tends to, you know, start around 10 and it can go as late as, you know, 7.30 or 8 because 
you know, a lot of the day is spent with the meetings and then there has to be downtime, quote unquote. And it's interesting. I saw on your LinkedIn that you, that you wrote that you are an influencer. Obviously you're, you're doing a lot of good out there. What is it that, that kind of made you put that on there? Um, I believe because I think I'm, I don't think, I know I'm known for having candid conversations um, because I do take this work seriously. Um, and people, I believe, have gotten comfortable with or look for honesty um, so that when people hear from me, they know the intention of my comments um, are either coming from my truth or truth that I know it to be with no hidden agenda other than if I'm commenting on something that needs to be addressed, I'm commenting because I want to figure out a way to fix the issue. Um, I think I also come with great gratitude and humility to say that I'm very clear of how we got here was not because of any of my expertise. It really was my diligence in trying to find the resources to solve the problems that I was seeing. And I think because of the engagement around either my posts, since you mentioned LinkedIn, which I'm very active in, has created that platform where now when I'm out and about, people know me to know my tagline all in a day's work. So people are paying attention. They are following. They, you know, recognize me through my uh, LinkedIn presence. Gotcha. And what are some of the, like the initiatives that you, I mean, you, you mentioned some of the, the names of the initiatives, but like, what are some like actual sort of things that you've put in place over the last, since you got there that like physically happened in the community that you, you want to talk about or share? Yeah, I would say the highlights are emerging developers program really was my brainchild after the pains that I experienced in our first development which is known as the Filbert Promise Project, which I now deem myself, if no one else will, um, the subject matter expert in um, new build affordable housing. Because, uh, you know, I went in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and quite naive, because as I mentioned before, um, our HUD counseling, we were doing a great job getting people but they couldn't afford to buy anything in the Bay Area. So I was like, well, let's go build the houses. <laughs> so bought the land, thought we could do it, and then quickly learned subsidy and a whole, you know, other conversation why it performed emerging developers program so that people who had interest in development, it would be a little easier for them. I would say the social impact bond, not a brainchild of my own, but working with our partner, Richmond Community Foundation, who did a pilot program in the city of Richmond, working with code enforcement to address the blight and dormant properties in the area that were becoming problematic, um, created a pilot program of getting bank investment to be able to, again, use that money, acquire rehab and make available to first time home buyers and because of our, most of our home buyers being those homeowners of those properties, we've now partnered to scale that through not only Contra Costa, but Alameda and um, Solano counties 
and successfully getting ready to move forward in the city of Hayward. So again, trying to find solutions to solve problems that current solutions don't exist. Were you shocked by how, when you when you went into this role, like how many solutions didn't exist? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, yes, um, because again, being very naive to the industry, um, and again, this was 2016, so let's say 2017, when we were sitting at meetings, you know, everyone is still talking about this housing crisis. And I want to be clear, I, I do agree there is a crisis, but when I would ask about, well, who are we building for? If we were to ask today, if we had 10,000 units, would that really solve the problem? And if you focus me on homelessness, when I would ask, well, because homelessness looks different these days. So um, when we're trying to solve for homelessness, do we know how many units need supportive housing? Do we know how many units are needed that if I just had a place to lay my head, I have a job? And we really haven't been able to get that linear focus and my mindset to really understand what that data is showing. Um, and I've also, you know, started to learn that the housing industry, and this is a very bold statement, I don't think has been created to solve the housing needs of people because of the model of being a financial model. Because in sitting with traditional developers, you know, you hear about it not penciling out, um, which is important because a project needs to be feasible, but where then are the needs of the people being addressed? And then also understanding the shift of power because we also understand many of those making decisions on behalf of the communities we care about don't always represent those communities. So then there becomes a um, detachment of understanding of what those real needs of community bring. It's interesting. And a lot of people who listen to this podcast are students or people early in their career. Somebody who's thinking about going into an affordable housing profession and, and kind of following in your footsteps, do you have any advice that you might offer to them? Absolutely. I would say um, informational interviews, meaning if there is a element of this work you have interest in, find someone you could talk to that is in that role. Because what I think happens is individuals wanting to get into the industry does not understand the breadth of the industry. There are so many aspects of affordable housing. And once a person identifies their interest and in actually talking to that individual of what do they like, what do they dislike, what are their challenges, can possibly help that individual understand, is this really what it, I want to do? Or through that conversation, do they identify other you know, opportunities or roles that they didn't know existed? So definitely building a network talking to people and really being an exploratory state before they make a decision of where they land in the industry. And I think you've done a really good job of just getting out there, networking, going to conferences. Um, are there any, you know, just to kind of go into the, like a little, just to go into it a little bit deeper, are there any networking events, conferences, places, things that have particularly helped you in that, in that way? Uh, I would say ULI. Um, it's a hidden gem because it has focused on the 
professional developer. And now with all the nuances and interested developers, I think it's important that new faces, new energy, new insight and, and, and um, voices are in those spaces um, because they have great platform of education. Um, there's many coalitions, you know, coming up in communities that are like-minded individuals that provide a partnership, technical, you know, ability. So identifying what's happening in community would be another recommendation. Do you feel like you're doing good? Like, is it nice to, like, you didn't grow up in Richmond, but you grew up in, in you know, San Francisco, which is close by. Do you, is, it, is it very, it must be pretty rewarding to be, helping change the community of a place that where you near where you grew up. Absolutely. I think you know, like all of us that are doing the good work and we were changing agents and, you know, our boots on the ground, I think it's important to take a step back and be reminded of what we've done. Um, sometimes you're just in it and you don't time. So yes. And I have opportunities like this to talk about the things we're doing or I'm being reminded of what we're doing. Absolutely. It feels good. When I came into this role, it was important for me to create a legacy because I do believe I'm in the sunset of my career. Um, so, you know, when my time ends at Richmond Neighborhood Housing Services, I feel pretty confident that, you know, people can say I created it. That's awesome. So what, what's on the agenda for the next couple of years? You know, you came out of COVID. I'm sure that was really hard to do with the community and all that stuff. Like what's, what's any, anything coming up over the next couple of years you, you want to share with us? Yes, I think that now that the dust has settled and I think we are settling into who we are as an organization, I really will be spending this time on, you know, organizational management. I was very reactionary having you know, opportunities. I would say a black woman leading an organization like ours, I had more opportunity and more funds and I knew what to do with. So it was a reactionary just trying to solve more immediate issues. But now that has settled, evaluating really what does the organization need, hot talent, skill, the ability, same programs that we have that I mentioned and continue to enhance and develop those. The newest thing on our horizon is through some of the things we talked about earlier, through networking, showing up, we um, went into partnership um, with McCormick Baron Salazar. Oh yeah. Great. National developer. And we are uh, finalizing a project in the city of Richmond known as Nystrom Village, a longtime public housing project. And RNHS will be co-owner, co-developer of that project, which will be up to about 400 units of housing. So that will definitely be taking up our time. One of the largest projects the organization has ever done that will really be, you know, on our radar for the next, I would say, few years. Do you often partner with, with, with for-profit affordable developers? Yes, and that's a funny story, which we highlight in our Emerging Developers Program, talking about, you know, equitable partnerships. Leading up to this partnership, and again, being new to the work, anytime someone asked me to sign on, I was so happy to be asked. Um, and a lot of times I was coming in as community partner or, you know, other elements. 
And it took me some time to understand our value that when people were coming to us, we saw value. So um, I think we are, I am sensitive or um, mindful of the relationships and partnerships that we do formalize and do now understand our value. So like this partnership allows us to you know, have the decision-making part, um, part as well as the ownership aspects. So the relationships with the company will look I love it. Um, well, you made it through the easy part of the podcast, Nikki. Are you ready to enter the hot seat? I'm ready. The hot seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services, which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofit startups and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So. They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. You knew you'd be ready. You, you feel like you're ready for anything. I stay, like I say, if you, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready, so I'm ready. I love it. I love it. You want to go ahead, Lisa, start us off? So do you have a book and or podcast recommendation? Oh, you you hit my sweet spot. Love books, love (laughs) books, love books. Um, But this is going to be a different one. Conscious Parent is one that I'm reading right now. What is it called? Conscious Parent or Conscious Conscious Parenting. Okay. Um, because I have two adult children and any of us who have raised children, we've always said, well, no one gave us a handbook. I think that book should have been, um, really authored a hundred years ago. But now that I'm dealing with my adult children, I'm learning. So reading that right now, that is a true gem. Um, I will also wait. I was just going to say, tell me more. I need to know any, any good tips. I have a, I have almost adult children. Yes. Anything uh, that really particularly resonated with you? Oh my goodness. That the way that we were raised and our childhood (laughs) trauma will impact the children that that we have. And our children really are a mirror of, of us and anything that's triggering us in those relationships probably have more to do with us than them. Um, so right. that's a I, highlight. I, I, I agree. Yeah. The other is the NAP Ministry by uh, Trish, Trisha Hershey. It's called um, Rest is Resistance. I was introduced to that book last year, and it's really a manifesto for Black women explicitly to be given the permission to rest. Um, without feeling mm. bad about it or guilty about it. And really the rest is the resistance and really dismantling this 
you know, um, hustle culture and this grind culture. And when I first got the book or got familiar with it, I, you know, it's just like, oh, I'm going to rest. But then I learned that resting isn't about escapism. It's about the ability to replenish so you can get up and do what you need to do again. Mm. And I think it was important to focus on black women um, because, you know, whether, you know, you know the quote of Malcolm X that we really are the most unprotected um, group of humans on the planet with many of us who have flourished in leadership. The challenges are much different than I think any others. Um, and there's a lot that comes with us being, you know, black women. So that that's another uh, high regard. And of course, there's a lot of industry books, but those are the two that um, stick to mind right now. I love that. Me too. Um, especially the first one. That was, uh, I, I totally agree with that. All of us here have, have children on this podcast. Uh, what is your most memorable deal or, or, or maybe, sort, maybe uh, not intuition, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, something you put into place at, uh, at Richmond. I tell this story all the time, and I think this speaks especially uh, to the point that was made, people coming into the industry. And when I first came on board, like I mentioned, we had a portfolio of rentals. The organization had been dormant, so needless to say, many of them were in significant disrepair. So I was looking for money to try to uh, repair them. And so I had heard about CDBG. At the time, I couldn't say CDBG. I was saying, I, you know, I heard about this one called CFPG. I couldn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't know the acronym. So I started calling the... Like the eye chart, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I started calling the housing director in Contra Costa County, leaving messages, sending emails. And finally she replies and said, Nikki, it was clear you didn't know what you were talking about. But you were so persistent, we had to find a way to support you. So needless to say... All of our properties have now been covered under CDBG. To me, that was a win because I, I believe I was vulnerable. I was transparent. I was, you know, active in saying I needed support and I didn't give up. Um, and we got what we needed to, to get to the work done. That's amazing. So it feels like you do a fair bit of hiring. Is there something in particular that you look for when you are hiring talent? Um, well, I will say that um, I don't think what I have looked for in the past has served us well, and I'm going to validate that statement. I have wanted our organization to be a platform for individuals that would not otherwise have this opportunity in being in an affordable housing organization. So that means young professionals, that means people of color, really wanting to give them the platform to be engaged in the work. Um, however, I underestimated that the infrastructure support and functionality of an organization is critical if you're going to bring on that type of talent. And as I had mentioned before, there was such extraordinary growth within the organization that as we've heard and coined before, the plane was flying as we were trying to 
ended. So I don't think that we did a very good job of really understanding the needs. And that's why I said this year, we're really taking a step back because although I do want to provide a platform for professionals that wouldn't quote unquote have this opportunity elsewhere, I'm now taking full responsibility that the infrastructure has to be able to support because I think people come in with great intent and aspiration, unfortunately, but if they don't have the tools to navigate and the tools aren't necessarily visible, it could be a challenge. So, but what I am looking for are people who understand that, people who um, are open to learn, people who see that I can provide value in their career, um, and people that can be fluid and flexible because things are changing every day. What uh, You mentioned your mother as being a mentor. Any other, uh, who, who have been one or two of your biggest mentors throughout your career in your life? Um, a woman by the name of Brenda Wright. Uh, she was with Wells Fargo for a number of years. I think this is a testament that when you see people doing the things that you want to do, you can excel. Uh, at the time that we met, I was working at a retail store mm-hmm. because, again, I said I didn't really have a vision of what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I oh, went cool. to the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising, and I was in retail. She happened to be shopping, like the way I sold, and asked if I wanted a part-time job. She was managing a branch in West Portal Avenue in San Francisco. So I came in as a teller. I will say they quickly snapped off line because I'm not operational. Um, but just being able to see her every day showing up as a leader, as my branch manager, I was like, oh, I want to do that. Um, so, you know, left Wells Fargo, went to City. Then I had two, mentor, uh, two mentors, Herb Myers, who was an area director uh, at the time. And a lot of his, you know, um, messaging still comes through my ear today. Laura Bramani was also a strong mentor of mine. And someone we lost, David Jones, was another mentor. So much like I referenced my childhood birth to eighth grade was magical. I can transition that to my professional career. The first, I would say, five to 10 years of my career in banking, I had a very solid foundation working with really solid people that gave me the instruments and tools that I needed to be able to transform it into the work that I'm doing today. We don't so do any of this ourselves, right? We don't do any of this ourselves, right? Exactly. Well, Nikki, it's been great to get to know you better. Thanks for coming on the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. You have definitely made an impact. 